We thank you, Lord, that we are indeed belonging to you, that we're your family, and together we are family following you in mission. So that may the songs we have sung, the offerings we've given, begin to express our love and honor for you. May who we are together in this place and then throughout this week truly point others to Jesus. Would you pray the Lord's Prayer with me, please? And if you don't know, those words will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against me. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. Can we thank the Lord for our students? Didn't they do a great job leading us in worship this morning? It takes a lot of courage to stand in front of all of us. Now they did great. Well done, young people. How about uh, we're going to open? We're going to. Can we have some fun this morning? Can I have fun this morning? <laughs> How about just some quick responses? So we're, we've been in Acts now for about six, seven months. Can anybody just, a couple of you just throw out words or phrases that have been striking you as we've been in the book of Acts together? Anybody? Just words or phrases? Transformation. Transformation. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Freedom. Freedom, courage. Perseverance. Struggle. Perseverance. Supernatural confidence. <laughs> Coach. I, was, uh, I, said this, I should have said this last week, but it was Paul uh, talk all night long. Can you just fell out of the window? I can think about that, how passionate he was. How long can you talk about something? How long can I talk about something? He talked all night long. About he was so fired up about the gospel. Coach said he's amazing. He just took last week's passage, he just talked and talked and talked about Jesus. Couldn't stop talking about Jesus. That's good. Thank you. Come more. Yeah. Jim says, no matter what the devil does, we win. All right. Thanks. Somebody else over here. Back here. Anybody? Go. Very good. Yes. Way back over there. Sean, throw something at me. Give me a word. Fellowship. All right. Thanks, Mark. Over here. Anybody? Zach, got something? This is dangerous. I learned your names. I'm going to start calling you out. It's scary. So take your names out of the directory or? Change and move forward. Fantastic. Okay. So what I'd like to do, no, thank you, everybody. That's great. Let's continue talking just a moment. I'm going to, we're going to read Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 36, and read through chapter 21, verse, um, oh, say 17 or so. And then I'd like to ask if you'd be willing to talk with someone around you what, what's, what lifts for you? What, what, what's drawing your attention? There's a lot here. I'm going to see what the Holy Spirit prompts in you to see where we go together. So Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 36. This is at Ephesus. And as I, as I read the passage, Jim's going to leave the map up here because we're going to go, we're going to start in Ephesus right here. Do you see in the middle? And we're going to go from Ephesus. We're going to end up finally down in Jerusalem. That's about a four to 500 mile trip by water. So this is the end of Paul's third missionary journey. It takes five years, from A.D. 52 to A.D. 57. Starting in, in uh, Antioch, that big loop is about 1,500 miles. It's five years. 
As I read the passage, we're going to go from Ephesus to Jerusalem. Okay, so we'll just leave it up there and look up occasionally so you can see where we are. So in verse 36, they're at Ephesus. So be listening. What's prompting? What grabs you? What do you think about? When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship passing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed, up to, sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with him seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Potelemus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping? And breaking my heart. I'm not ready to be only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he could not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we, stayed, where we sought to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. People of God, this is the Word of God. So can you take about two minutes? Is there anything that prompts you, anything that draws your attention to in the reading of the passage? On your marks, get set, go. If you don't want to do it, act like you're praying. All right, how about anybody? Let's, let's see where the, where the Lord's going to lead us. Let's get some comments and let's see what happens. What, what stands out for you? Young ladies prophesied. Fantastic. Now, that, that raises something really important to think about. One of the things that Luke does, if you read the book of Luke and the book of Acts, is he often notes unnamed people who have no prominence, who are mightily used in the kingdom of God. Remember in, in the prophecy in, in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, young men, young women are going to dream dreams, they're going to prophesy. Here you see it. So unnamed women, the Greek word for young woman is someone under age 14. This is a very, these are young women. And it, many scholars think that one of the sources that Dr. Luke used to write the book of Acts were these four young women and their dad, Philip. Who is Philip? He was one of the seven people in the book of Acts chapter 6, one of the people who served at table. So he's got these wonderful daughters. The point I'm trying to make is Dr. Luke is raising up people who are surprising who are involved with, with the Lord. Now, think about this a little bit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on only some people. He came upon for a season, for a time. But what did 
was promised on Pentecost, which is today. The Spirit will be given, and all kinds of stuff can happen through all kinds of people. So one of the points, thank you, one of your, the points here is unnamed people are walking with the Spirit. Where else do you see the Spirit at work in this passage? Mike. Mm-hmm. He was amazed at how, how he was so focused on honoring the Lord and following the vision. So the Acts 1-8 vision, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So look, look where Jerusalem is. So by this time, in a relatively short period of time, there are at least, at least 85,000 followers of Jesus from Jerusalem to 8th Athens. And they're already, just coming out of Ephesus, there are 11 cities where churches are planted, most of whom are not even on the map. So this kingdom is just, is just going, and it starts with this vision. This, this guy is so certain, these people are so certain that Jesus has died and risen that they're willing to go. They're willing to share and in all kinds of ways, small and large. Fantastic. Thank you. Somebody else? Let's stay with the Spirit. Steer a minute. Let's follow the Spirit. Look at your Bibles. Look at 2022. And now compelled by the Spirit, and this is Paul talking, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem and not knowing what will happen to me there. So Acts chapter 20, verse 22. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So look up at that map. He says, as I make this trip, in every city, prisons and hardships are facing me. So what do you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? He lists all the ways, times, and places where he experienced exactly what is being communicated here. It says in verse 24, however, back to Mike's point, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Holy Spirit 22, Holy Spirit 23, verse 26. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now over to chapter 21. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem, Verse 20, uh, let's see, verse 11, coming down to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and says, the Holy Spirit says. So you have multiple times when the Spirit's at work. Now, let me ask you a question. Is the Spirit contradicting himself here? No. Okay. No, Spot on. That, that hit a home run here. So in 2022, 20, the Lord says, you're going to go. The Spirit tells you, you're going to go and you're going to suffer. This is going to happen to you. Then other people are, are getting these words from the Lord, prophetic words, and they're saying what? They're hearing the same message. You're going to go and you're going to suffer. No, Paul, no, no, we love you. We don't want you to suffer. We don't want you to die. So you have the Spirit talking, confirming what has been said. You will suffer. You will die. But people are so in love with Paul, they hear these words and they're trying to stop him. Now, let's talk about something that emerges from this. Do you see how messy fellowship in the body of Christ is? It feels like multiple messages are being given and it could be perceived they're contradictory. 
And one of the great challenges of being the body of Christ is say, how can we be so together in relationships that we can, we can work through what do these things mean? See, so there has to be some level of, of love and care and trust. And one of the challenges we're going to, I'll show you some icons in a few minutes. One of the great challenges we face in a culture that is so um, individualized, hold that thought, individualized. So we think our world is rapidly changed because of social media, computers, computer chips. What, if you, what would you say if something more significant happened to us about 70 years ago? More, more significant than a computer chip. Would you think I'm crazy? What happened about 70 years ago that changed our country? Air conditioning. Before air conditioning... People were in outside in relationships all the time. But look at us now. We drive up into our homes, our apartments, close the garage door, we go into an air-conditioned house, and we get on social media and we talk to people. But we don't actually talk to people. When's the last time you had a conversation in person with your neighbors? So we think computer chips have changed our world. How about air conditioning, which is taking us away from relationships? So in the context of being the body of Christ, we have to figure out, we are invited into how do we live life out in relationships. Let me go back to where we started. Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit is given. Why is this so important? Because in relation, listen, listen to this verse. Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who is bearing good fruit in us. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, which allows us to say, I will submit to you out of reverence for Christ. And because we are submitting to each other, we can have working through difficult conversations, translating the words of the Spirit, applying Scripture to our lives. We can't do it alone, but it's messy. So the Holy Spirit is actively involved. So we have giving direction, giving guidance, and you have now this young women. Young women are prophesying. Now, did you catch the idea about, um, oh, my mind just went blank. All right, where's my Bible? Here it is. Um, oh, the prophetic, prophetic, the prophetic act. What did he do? He went up to Paul took off Paul's belt and tied him up. Is that something we've read about before in Scripture? Absolutely. The book of Jeremiah, the book of Isaiah, the book of Ezekiel. When the Lord wanted to clearly communicate to people, he gave them an enacted prophecy. So Agabus, now who's Agabus? Just about six, seven years earlier, what did Agabus do? He prophesied there would be a famine where? In Jerusalem. And now he comes back and says, the man whose belt I use. Now why, why is that significant? So in the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, when the Lord wanted people to understand this is really a significant moment, he would do an enacted prophetic action. So this is big deal. Now look at the response. Did you catch all the emotion in the passage? Did you, where, where do you see emotion? Talk back to me. I'm talking too much. Talk back to me. Where do you see emotion here? 
They're all weeping multiple times. Now, think about this. What's the posture in the weeping? What are they doing? They're kneeling. What's the, why is that a big deal? Because this is how Jewish people prayed. Like this. Eyes up, heads up, hands up. That's how you prayed. Now they are kneeling together, crying together, wanting to stay connected, trying to care and love. What's going on here? There is a sense of relationship that is so rich and full. I'm going to come to this in just a moment. Watch this. I'm going to talk about authority now. I'm going to segue to authority. You have authority. I have authority. To the level and degree we are willing to sacrifice and suffer for people we love. In organizations, people can have titular authority. My boss, your boss, our boss. What did Jesus say in John 10? I think this is the primary passage on authority in Scripture. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and I will lay down my life for the sheep. I'm not like the hired men who, when they hear how bad things are, just run. Now watch this. When you are willing to suffer and sacrifice out of love, people give you authority. Jesus had authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. Look at St. Paul. So part of the emotion is they are so overcome with someone who was willing to sacrifice so much for them. And when someone loves you to that degree, when you have heard you think they're going to suffer, there is a tremendous exchange of emotion. Now let me ask you a question. When is the last time, and think about a relationship with a Christian brother or sister. When was the last time you had just an outpouring of emotion because your love for that person was so great? Not, not, not a family member. A brother or sister in Christ. So I had a situation this week. I can give you one, and I with permission. A young man came to see me, about 38, 39. For me, that's young. And he was sexually abused, horribly sexually abused as a young man. And now at 38 and 39, that what has been buried, let me give you a word picture. When we are young, imagine we're in a pool, and we have three or four beach balls. When we are young, we can hold beach balls under the water. But as we grow older, our ability to hold more beach balls lessens and they start popping up. The pain, the loss, the grief, the horror we've experienced, if not dealt with now, will pop up later. His abuse is popping up. So here he comes to see me, sexually abused in his home by his father, in tremendous amount of hurt and pain. And as he's talking to me, I looked at him like he's one of my sons. And I just sat there and wept. Can you imagine being sodomized by your dad? I just wept. What happens when we deeply connect with other people? What happens when we really give ourselves in love for each other? There is a connection that comes, and so often when we're willing to listen and sacrifice one to the other, there is an authority that we receive to represent Jesus, and we receive more of his power and more of his presence. We bear more fruit, and I believe the Lord gives us good gifts.
Anybody else? One more thing. One more thing that pops, because I'm going to go a different direction then. Anybody? One more? Okay. Jim, may I request... Uh, how about... Um, let's go to number five. Thank you. Jim's guessing I'm different in the first service. So I'm going I'm to come full circle now, because now we're talking at the end of this missionary journey. So map one second again, Jim. So this is at the end of 1,500 miles in five years. So if you go back, think about, if, if, you, if you've been reading Acts this year, think about what's happened in all these different cities. What happened in Lystra? What happened in Troas? What happened in Thessalonica? What happened in Corinth? What happened in Ephesus? What happened all those places? 1,500 miles over five years. This is my summary of what I see. Slide number five. So I want you to observe there is great fruitfulness if we live out, cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the Acts 1-8 mandate. You will be witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. There is this, there is this movement. And, and what, I, what I'd like to do now for the next couple of moments is really just say thank you. Thank you for the, over these years, the fruitfulness that the Lord has been bearing through us in beautiful ways. Let me just give you one example of one kind of fruitfulness. And there are so many, but it ties into our passage. It goes down to the importance of a center. So I'll go give the map one more time. So here's Ephesus. Out of Ephesus came 11 different cities with church plants. 85,000 people came to faith in Jesus, a deeply abiding relationship with Jesus. Let me just talk about how deep this relationship was real quick. In the fall, Lord willing, if I'm still alive and we're still here, we're going to look at, we're going to look at a whole new two-year strategic plan around the idea of flourishing and thriving in exile. Let me tell you about the first two centuries of the early church, about the first hundred, not quite two centuries, a little less than that. When the person wanted to follow Jesus, this, let me just explain to you what it meant to become a follower of Jesus. You had to have a sponsor who was a Christian. Someone who was a Christ follower. You need a sponsor. For two years, approximately three hours a day, you would be engaged in learning what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. There would be conversation, but there would also be actions. There was say and do for two years. If you've been engaged for two years on Holy, in Holy Week, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, exorcists would pray with you to make sure you were freed from any demonic power of any kind. On Easter Sunday, you stood before the community in running water. You took off your clothes. You went down into the water. You came up, and they gave you a white robe. You received the kiss of peace. You went to the whatever worshiping little center, house, house church, wherever it was. You received communion for the first time. And you were called brother or sister. And you were anointed with oil. Now, why, why, why would they do that? Well, as I will explain in the fall, because there was a good probability you would be asked to stand before soldiers and define your relationship with Jesus. And they would say to you, you can recant. You can say Caesar is Lord and you can live. Or if you say Jesus is Lord, you will die. 
Now compare that to American Christians. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Maybe. Demons believe in Jesus. Someone who has a relationship with Christ is a person who starts looking like Jesus. Acting like Jesus. Speaking like Jesus. Bearing the fruit of Jesus. Love and joy and peace and patience. And the early church leaders understood that times of great testing were coming. They needed to have believers who were believers. And if you read things like Fox's Book of Martyrs, when you see what people experienced, I told you this before, you know how they would divide house churches? I told you this many times. The soldiers would come to your house church. They'd have the house church 10, 15, 20 people. Say the Vanderwoods and the Corvers. They say, Vanderwoods, do you renounce Christ? Sam and Jill say, no. We, we affirm Jesus is Lord and Savior, and we will not renounce Christ. And they kill all three of the, the Vanderwood kids. They come to Lane and me. Will you renounce Christ? There sits Kyle, Clayton, Caleb, Kirk. I love my sons. I renounce Christ. My sons are spared. The next Lord's Day, we gather and worship. And here comes Lane and me with my four sons. And there are Sam and Jill, no daughter and no sons. What happens to the body of Christ when that was a strategy of the Romans? And these people were so convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he had risen from the dead, and that if they died, they too would rise, that they were willing to say, kill me. Kill my kids. That's the level of fruitfulness. Now go back to that slide again, but that brings you to the second one. What's the cost of fruitfulness? There was incredible sacrifice. It, it was very costly, but in the costly nature, there was a life and a hope and a purpose and a joy that was rich and unbelievable. If you read the story of the martyrs in the first two centuries, they would often sing as they were being killed. So Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it's called the Kenosis Passage. It's one of the first hymns of the early church. They would sing that as they were being burned alive. They were absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So there was fruitfulness beyond our comprehension. But there was a sacrifice. There was hard, hard stuff, which leads to the importance of a center. So map again one more time. So we have Ephesus. Ephesus affects this whole Asia, Asia Minor, Mysia, Bithynia. It went down to Phrygia. It's incredible the impact that this one place had. Now remember what I told you last week. So you remember the big temple of Artemis? Huge temple, one of the seven wonders of the world. Sixty years after Paul, when John the Apostle was there, he confronted the demonic spirit and that temple collapsed. The church planting occurred after the collapse of that temple. The demonic power was bound and held back. There was free space for the gospel. 
and people all over the region was changed because of the gospel. I never put together how important Ephesus was. One more time, Jim, map. So you have Antioch, up here, Antioch in Syria. That was the first launch pad. That's Acts chapter 11. And now you have the one in Ephesus, which is Acts chapter 20. It changes the world. Now back to the slide. I want to talk about the importance of a center. I never thought about this before. The Lord chooses places, and in those places, he invites those who call him Lord to partner with him. So I'm going to do this very carefully, very carefully. But it is interesting to me to see the favor of the Lord on this southeast aisle. There is, there is goodness being expressed here through favor from the Lord. We have, we have, if you want a job in this region, you can have a job. We have fantastic school systems. We have a wonderful hospital. There is a, a wonder, there's, there's just so much here. Number push. Why was Pella named here? Because 2,000 years ago, a biblically named city became a receiving refugees, safety for these people, and then sending. May I say this with humility? But I think the Lord is asking Pella to even more our region, our region to more for Christ and his kingdom. I mean, it's amazing how many people are coming here. It's amazing to me how many of you go there. The Lord's at work, and they're centered. Now, in that light, give me slide number eight. So this is how I have prayed for you for the last decade. I want to give credit to Desha Bruxford because she came up with the icons. I have the words... She came with icons. I pray this every morning for all of us. On Tuesday mornings, I pray for you by name. Here are the icons. Number one, a thin place where heaven and earth come together. Number two, a lighthouse where people learn to pray, are equipped to pray, and pray for the world. Number three, a learning center where people are given opportunities to receive and learn and express and understand the very words of God. Number four, a hospital. Why are we so involved with inviting people to learn to pray? Because so many of us need healing of all kinds. Someone criticized us recently that we're a church full of hypocrites. I said, we absolutely are. Start with me. But I said, you know, the reason we gather to worship and the reason we're trying to be a community is not because we're perfect. And I said, my joke is, but I'm not really joking when I call us third deformed church. We need healing. We all carry pain. Let me push in this second because I had multiple conversations this week. I want to say thank you for the grace we're learning to live in with each other. This, this number just staggers me. The best research I have seen is one in three women have been sexually abused in some way. One in three. And today it's one in seven men. So if 3,000 people worship here on a Sunday morning, how many people in these rooms have been sexually abused? 
and the level of hurt. So this is what I observed. This is my opinion. I think at the very core of the human person, our spirituality is like a cable, and alongside it lays the cable of sexuality. They lay side by side in the depths of who we are. If, this, if, our, if our sexuality gets damaged, it affects our spirituality. Many of us carry deep, deep wounds. And many of us are afraid even to shine the light because it is so shameful and so painful and so hurtful. But we are growing that we can begin to shine the light of Christ on every area of who we are. And we're doing less shaming. And we're doing more accepting because I think we're embracing the idea that we are a hospital. This is where broken people come to receive goodness and grace. Number five, it's a launch pad. A launch pad. So I'm, I'm really carefully, this is not credit to us, but we are one place. In 2002, we went to, we part, I'm going to use the word partnered. We partnered with Iowa City to plant a church. And then we partnered with Knoxville. And we partnered with Otomo. And we partnered with Newton. We partnered with Elvia. And we partnered with Chicago. Out of those partnerships is another church in Hayward, Iowa. There's another church in Washington, Iowa. There's another church just planted in Centerville, Iowa. Next year, Lord willing, to be church planted in Fairfield, Iowa. One of our other church plants is going to plant four churches in the next two years. And guess who's helping to pay for it? And I say, thank you, last year, because you were so generous. We gave $1.065 million away. And if you approve this next budget, and if you give generously, the plan is to give about $1.265 million away. We're a storehouse. We're a launch pad. Number six, we're people being trained. A Green Berets, SEAL Team 6. And, uh, Oh, Memorial Day. Lane and I went to New Sharon for the Memorial Day uh, services. And the man who spoke was in the, he was part of the group that killed Osama bin Laden. And he talked about how they train and talked about how these people are so trained they jump out of airplanes at 35,000 feet. How much training does it take to jump out of an airplane at 35,000 feet? Or how much training does it take to be released from a submarine hundreds of feet below the surface? We are being trained to be warriors for Christ. Warriors meaning love and kindness and service and generosity and goodness. How about number seven? Number seven is... Oh, that's a storehouse generosity. Number eight is hospitality, a wedding reception. And number nine is an airport. So when I pray for us every morning, these are the icons I use. Why? Can I go back to the map again? Because we and other churches in Pella, the industry of Pella, the businesses of Pella, and the region, somehow we're being asked to affect a region, all of us together, the churches of Pella, the businesses of Pella. We get an opportunity to share the goodness of Jesus in a variety of ways. How about this last one, number seven? Slide, I'll quit with this. 
can I, can I thank you? As we move, keep moving to the end of the series, I want to keep thanking you, congregation. Thank you for the ways together we are all taking steps to follow Christ in the Acts 1-8 mandate. We're, we're doing it. We're taking baby steps. All of, We're taking steps. For some, the steps are just becoming aware. For others, the steps are becoming deployed. For others, it's learning to be trained. For others, it's choosing to pray. For others, it's being willing to give. For others, it's just being willing to be part of the community. Something is happening. But I want to give the phrase from Eugene Peterson. But we're training for a long obedience in the same direction. The last service, sitting way back by the Marlows, there was a woman whose grandson was killed, shot through the, through the chest by a hunting, hunting, hunting accident. Her name is Beth. And Beth just had some surgery, and I went to check on her before the first service. I said, Beth, how are you? She said, my body is getting better, but my heart is still so sad. She looked at me. I said, how are you? I said the same. But I said, Beth, we know the last, last part of the story. Christ wins. We are a part of an unbreakable, unshakable kingdom. The kingdom of God is never in trouble. Beth will see her grandson. I will see my son. Who will you see? As we walk with Jesus, we walk to a glorious future. Someday, all is made right. New heaven, new earth. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank and praise you that you're going way ahead of us, that your kingdom is coming and your will's being done in ways large and small. Thank you, Lord, that we have opportunity to partner with you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Not wondering if anybody here is in a place of discouragement or pain. If you would like some special prayers. Can I invite you just to raise a hand? Is it acknowledgement? Let's always keep our heads down and eyes closed. Lord, as Paul and his friends knelt in prayer and wept for those they loved, we pray and we weep for these whose hands are raised. And we pray you would be uniquely present to anyone who longs for more of you today. So we invite your moving. We ask for your loving. We pray for healing. We ask for blessing. Come, Lord Jesus. Hear our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.